and welcome to Cosmos Science Daily, where journalists at the Cosmos Newsroom report on the latest research and discoveries and explain the science behind the headline news. Today's newsroom journalist and science graduate specialising in genetics, immunology and citizen science, Emma Perfetto, is telling us about a cool new way we have to clean solar panels. I am Dr. Sophie Calabretto, applied mathematician, fluid mechanist and alternative energy lover. So let's start from the beginning, Emma. I saw. I sort of know what a solar panel is. Do you just want to unpack this for me a little bit? I'm sure there's more information about solar panels out there than you put them on your roof and you don't have to pay for electricity. Yeah. Well, so I think you probably already know that they convert sunlight into electricity, um, but it's through what's called the photovoltaic effect. Um, this was discovered in all the way back in 1839, by a 19-year-old Edmund Becquerel. Whoa, so that's a long time ago and that guy was young. (laughs) So young. I was so, oh my gosh, I was not doing that at 19 years old, believe me. No, not at all. (laughs) The first commercial solar cell was developed in 1883 by Charles Fritz. Yep. And then the world's first rooftop solar array using Fritz selenium cells was installed in 1884 on a New York City rooftop. That's still a really long time ago. I had no idea that they've actually been around for so long. That was a long time ago, but it wasn't until 1939 that Russell Ohl created the solar cell design that we use today in our modern solar panels. So we, I know that we use a lot of them on our rooftops in Australia, but is that the main way? that we employ these solar panels for energy? Like I've heard of solar farms, I've heard of all of these things. Yeah, so we have the smaller scale ones in the suburbs, but our large scale solar farms are located in geographical regions that have a lot of sunlight and a lot of land. Just a lot of land. So, I mean, what kind of, like deserts? Like are we building them in the desert? Is that what you mean? Pretty much, that's what I mean. So the largest solar farm is in the Badla Solar Park in India in the desert, and it's spread out over 57 square kilometres. Okay, so I feel like this leads us to our problem, right? So if we've got these large-scale solar farms that are producing a bunch of energy in the desert and we're about to talk about cleaning solar panels, I'm going to assume that we've got some problem with these things getting dirty and not working as well. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, you've got heaps and heaps of sunlight in deserts, which is great but they also tend to have a lot of airborne mineral dust and this, the solar cells get super, super dusty out there. Yeah, and so, I mean, I presume that I'm just, I mean, thinking about the way that I think a, a solar cell works, surely if, you know, our panels are being covered by something, they're just going to be less efficient? Is that the main issue here? Yeah, that's pretty much it. They The dust blocks out a significant portion of the sunlight from, like, reaching the solar cell um, and it can reduce output by 30% in just a month if it's not cleaned. That's pretty big. I mean, 30% is a huge drop if you're thinking it's just dust that's causing it. So I assume that what has happened now is that we've had some people come along and they've got an amazing solution that we can use. Actually, before we get to the solution, how do we normally clean a solar panel? Is this something people need to be thinking about at their homes? I don't know how people clean their solar cells at home I'm guessing is it rain (laughs) probably just rain yeah it doesn't rain a lot in the desert though no (laughs) so you know they need to be cleaned regularly up to several times a month and the most common method of doing this is with pressurized water 
Um, but again, the desert's pretty dry and they need to transport a lot of that water in which is going to be sort of logistically quite difficult. And it's not like, you know, when you watch on YouTube those like great videos of people pressure cleaning stuff like swimming pools and old tiles and, yeah, that's not going to be as easy to do in the desert. Okay, so essentially the way that we clean most things with water is the way that we would normally do this. But if we've got these huge things in the middle of nowhere that we need to clean, we need a better way of dealing with this particular situation. Yeah, we definitely need a better way because it's estimated that cleaning solar cells with water uses about 38 billion litres of water every year. That's that's huge. It's an inconceivable, like, number. I can't conceive of that number. No. So if you kind of convert it into thinking that's enough drinking water for 2 million people for a year. Okay, that is terrifying. We, that's a waste. I'm going to say categorically as someone who does not work in this field of science, that is a waste of water and we do need to be doing something different. That's terrible. I agree. I agree. Definitely. So, yeah, we need we need a different option. Yep. Um, and that's what I'm going to be talking about now. And I've heard it has something to do with electrostatics. Yeah. So these mechanical engineers had the idea to use electrostatic repulsion to repel dust from the surface of the panel without touching it, without having to touch it at all. Oh, that's amazing. So I guess the idea is that, you know, dust, it's this little particle. Obviously, there must be some kind of charge on it. And then we're using the fact that it has some kind of charge to get it off the thing that we don't want it on. Almost. We are making it charged. Oh, okay. It's not organically charged. So we're charging it and then we're repelling it. Amazing. Keep going. Yeah. So electrostatics is a branch of physics that studies electric charges at rest. When charged particles are transferred from one object to another, in this case, we're talking about electrons, the smallest parts of atoms, which are negatively charged. Yeah. Uh, the object that loses the electrons becomes positively charged and the object that gains it becomes negatively charged. These two objects are now attracted to each other, kind of like, I don't know if you've ever had this when you take plastic wrap out of the container it's in and it sort of like sticks to your hand and is like just completely stuck there. A hundred percent. I don't know what it is about me, but I'm constantly statically charged and I never knew if I was positive or negative, but things stick to me all the time. So I am very familiar with that. Yeah. And you're trying to like get it off your arm and it just sort of, it's just decided that's where it wants to be and it just clings. Yeah. That's what it wants. And interesting, interestingly, actually, it's been known that some materials such as amber, for instance, attract lightweight particles after you rub them. The Greek word for amber is electron. What? Okay, I did not know that. That is very cool. It's like, it's like things mean things for a reason. <laughs> I love the Greek language. It crops up everywhere. Yeah, it's great. But if you have two objects that have the same charge, then they repel each other. They don't want to be close to each other. Yeah. Um, and because a charge creates an electric field in the space surrounding it, they don't have to be touching each other to repel each other. So these are the, those invisible forces that we often see cropping up in the universe and on planet Earth. So it's like we can't see them, but we've got this sort of like magnetism, right? We've got this repulsive yeah. and attractive force that we can't see, but things are happening down at kind of a subatomic level. You can see it and you can feel it. If you've ever tried to force two magnets yep. that are the same, you know, the same poles against each other, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So how are we using this electrostatics on these? Okay, yeah. What, like, how do we do this? It's like we're going to use our, we're going to charge up our dust to get it to go away. How do we do this remotely on a large scale solar farm? 
So what they want to do is charge the dust particles on the top of a solar cell and then pass something else that is also charged with, with the same charge over the top of it and cause them to repel from each other so that the dust falls away. And you can potentially automate that, make that happen without you having to be there. To be able to charge the dust particles, you need something underneath them on the solar panel which can sort of induce a charge in them. You can do this by using a conductive material through Mm -hmm. which you can pass an electric current and this will cause the dust to become electrically charged. Okay. Once you've charged the particles, you then need something passing over the top with a current moving through it as well that has the same charge to cause them to fly off. You have to figure out the voltage required to cause these dust particles to jump off, overcoming the adhesive and gravitational forces that are keeping them stuck onto the solar panel. So, for example, if it's not strong enough, it's not going to do anything? It's not going to do anything. They might, you know, wiggle around on there, but they're not going to jump and dance and fly off the side. They're not going to later days in the way that we need them to, to clean these solar panels. Exactly. And this just involved them trying, trying all these different voltages. And they found it. They found it. It was 12 kilovolts. Oh, perfect. Yeah, perfect. So the dust that we've been talking about this whole time is like a broad sort of term for a range of particles. Um, And they can vary in what they're composed of depending on the location that they're found. But commonly they're sort of made up of a significant amount, 30 to 70% of silica, which you might know as the major component of sand. Sand, yeah. Yeah. Silica is usually a good insulator, which means that an electric current doesn't move through them easily. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it absorbs moisture, this ability of silica is like reduced greatly and it becomes charged when in contact with that conductor electrode on the solar panel surface. Okay. The mechanical engineers had to figure out what ambient humidity had to be in the air to give the silica in the dusk enough of that water to become charged. So essentially we we need an ideal amount of moisture in the air to to moisten this silica enough that it will do what we want it to do. Yeah, because otherwise it's not going to become, it's not conductive enough just by itself. It's not going to become charged. So I can, I see a problem here. How humid is the desert? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. We were just talking about there's not enough water in the desert. They found out that as long as the humidity was greater than 30%, you could remove almost all of the dust. 30% seems like a lot. But according to the senior author of the study, Creeper Varanasi, who is a professor of mechanical engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in the US, MIT, the good news is is when you get to about 30% humidity, most deserts actually fall within this range. And even those that are sort of typically drier tend to have higher humidity in the early morning hours Um, And that's when, like, dew can form. Right, okay. So you would have to time the cleaning accordingly into those hours of the day when the humidity reached that sort of 30% threshold, but you could still do it. 
Okay, so it sounds totally feasible. So have they, what does this look like in practice? Have they tested this? Does this work? Yeah, this sounds great, but yeah. what does it look like? Exactly. So to be able to get that conductor onto the top of the solar panel to induce a charge in the dust sitting on top of it, they transformed the top surface of the solar panel into a transparent electrode by coating it with a really thin layer of zinc and aluminium, which are metals, they're conductors of electricity. A simple electricity conductor, in this case a aluminium bar, could be passed across the surface of the solar panel while a current was running through it, mm-hmm. causing the charged up particles to be repelled as it sort of moved back and forth over the, the top of it. So it works. So essentially it works in the lab? Yes. And have we tested it outside yet? No. This is more of a proof of concept thing. It definitely works in the lab and it works really well actually. They found that there was a 95% recovery rate of the energy output after cleaning. Which is actually huge. Like, I mean, you know, you should be pretty happy with 95%. Okay, so that's great. So essentially we've got our solar panels, which we love because they're a nicer way of creating energy, but it turns out that they get dusty in a way that I had absolutely no understanding of and it's actually a significant problem. And then to clean them, you'd need to use an outrageous amount of water, but now we potentially have a really feasible, I mean, we do have a feasible way of doing it and it's just about scaling it up. It's just about scaling it up pretty much. They've shown that, you know, you could use a little electric motor to drive a belt system to cause the bar to move like back and forth over the top of the solar cell and it could even be powered by its own like the solar panel oh. that it's attached to it, it's a self we made self-cleaning solar panels yeah. the solar energy powers the thing to clean it to make the solar panels work to their best ability and it's just moving back and forth what if you could automate that and just have it go at you know either the hours of the day that it has to because of the humidity or you know every five minutes or something like that Amazing. That is sensational. Emma, thank you so much for telling me all about solar panels today. I feel like I learned a huge amount. Turns out I didn't know anything about them. And thank you to everyone for listening at home. So keep an ear out for our next installment of Cosmos Science Daily. This podcast was brought to you by Cosmos, a publication of the Royal Institution of Australia. 